Hi, my name is Sona, and you're listening to Heart to Heartland, a fan podcast from a fan perspective. Welcome back. Um, I hope you had a nice month off. Um, I know I did. Turns out I actually love having a life. No, but um, it was actually a really good decision to kind of take a step back and see how I was doing and do other things besides living in the heartland world. So I'm back, but I'm sort of coming back lightly because I don't want to just, you know, take time off and then return to exactly how things were before, because, you know, that's, that's not going to work. So today I'll be having a guest. Um, But before we get into that, I just wanted to give two quick updates since we last talked. I think we didn't really talk about season 17 being confirmed last time, right? But right now the situation looks very promising. There have been a couple of things that always sort of lead into them confirming the season. Yeah, I'm going to put them in the YouTube description box so you can check them out yourself. But so far, no official confirmation, but it's looking very, very promising. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, And another thing, I don't think we talked about this either, but Heartland is nominated for a fan favorite uh, award at the Canadian Screen Awards. And this is completely fan voted uh, award because Heartland wasn't even among the shows that were nominated at first. So you could nominate a show yourself. And us Heartland fans got Heartland to top 10. And then they narrowed down it, I think to five shows or something like that and now it's top three and heartland is there if you feel like it you can vote every day 100 times and i know it sounds like a lot of work but it's just like tap 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 100 times and then you've done your part in getting heartland to win this award that we've been so close to having for years now so yeah that's exciting um but yeah Let's move on to the actual episode. So today I have Ada Moreno returning and he was kind enough to have a couple of hours just to talk to me and we had a lovely talk and because I feel like there was a lot of things I wanted to include, I am actually going to post these in like 30 minute parts because I feel like people like the shorter episodes compared to like longer ones. So that is a good way to put out these episodes and also full transparency. Um, I feel like this is um, a softer way to ease back in than just doing a new episode every week. So this month, April, is going to be 
eight in April, I guess. So every Saturday, you're going to get a new part of this. And I hope you listen because I had a really lovely time talking to Aiden and we talked about all kinds of topics, Heartland and, you know, his life and music and everything. So this first part is going to be about sort of Aiden's beginnings in the acting world and who he is as a person. Um, I'll meet you here on the flip, so I hope you enjoyed the first part of this interview. Back by popular demand, today I have Aiden Marino, aka Rick Adderley, joining me. Uh, welcome back to Heart to Heartland. How are Thanks you feeling? For me. I'm good. I'm glad to be back. I've listened pretty much on and off every week, so I love hearing everyone's comments. And thank you for keeping it going. How's season two been for you? Good, but kind of exhausting because, you know, you know, I've been doing it alone and it's like a weekly basis thing and kind of a lot of work on top of everything. But, you know, I've been It reminds me of when I did my lives at first mm. and maybe you'll understand it, but it's, you know, it's fun and it's exciting. But then yes. when you set up an expectation for others, then it sort of takes some of the fun, even though it still is exciting. Yeah. And it's doing something that you love and talking about you you feel this need to do it so it's like oh what am i gonna so yeah. well done bravo <laughs> yeah and all of the fans <laughs> and it's like when i sit down and you know just talk to the camera it's like okay i'm i've done that part but then i have to edit so it's like yes. a longer process in that way so i'm like i'm so over this episode by the time that it comes out well it's been a year since we talked a little over a year because you were here after season 15 i think yeah Maybe. um and uh you know this year season 16 was a big year for rick but um before we go to that how has your year been like on a personal level like because you it's had been, an album coming out and it's been ups and downs i think we're all sort of getting back to this new normal right yeah but my new normal is completely different to the one before the pandemic like now i'm on a show in a stable capacity. So it's still trying to make that fit into my life. Yeah. So not being able to travel as much, I used to love to travel, especially back home. I used to be able to go and see my grandparents and my mum more. So it's figuring out that balance. My dogs here are getting older. It's just things like that. Like life is really sort of catching up with me, but that's being an adult, right? And it's yeah. time to grow up. But no, it's- I know, it, it, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely been um fun to have that stability from heartland um it's also been fun to do more of a dramatic side to the mm. character and also to spend more time with different members of the cast this year so building those connections and relationships has been fun music i think i had a big learning curve on that this year as well because you probably heard me say it wasn't what i wanted and i should never have accepted what i was like well that's what it's gonna be mm. you know i need to own the space that i'm in i knew what it was it could have been and it wouldn't have taken that much more but instead me being me a people pleaser was oh that's okay that's fine <laughs> really and then it's like well why did you do that you know so I'm always learning, which I think is so important for us all to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm still learning with acting, with music, and just basically living life. I'm still trying to figure this out. But no, mm. yes, 
one year off um, the next let's see what happens yeah i don't think we talked about this the last time you were on but how did you even get started on acting because i i think you've said that you got started a little later on in your life so it wasn't like your child star or something no, like that never like never in a million years was it even in my peripheral vision of what mm. I wanted to do. I think growing up in the late 90s, early 2000s in the UK, pretty working class sort of environment, I was always sort of trying to fit in and be smaller than what I was in order to get by because yeah. it was a, at a time where it wasn't okay to be gay. Mm. I mean, gone leaps and bounds still, um, but literally back then you literally had to hide it yeah. i didn't come to anyone until i was 17 yeah and, and the aids yeah like you know, we had the situation was yeah. coming from the 80s yeah so it was a huge shift in mindsets towards anyone in the community mm. um so i was even though you would assume i would be into drama and music and performing mm. i wasn't you know, I was really, I used to eat my feelings up until I was 16. I used to be huge, mm. maybe from 11 to 16. And so, yeah, acting was never a thing. And then when I moved to Canada um, on my work visa, it was one of the only jobs I could get due to the temporary work visa I was on, which was background work, because oh. it wasn't contracted. It was done on a, if you want this job, you can take it. It's for one day. Mm. There was no contracts involved. And you didn't need to be a permanent resident. So it was really, really out of necessity that I did it. Um, I'd only get like $100 a day. I was there for like 12 hours. Mm -hmm. I couldn't join the union because I wasn't a permanent resident. So I was doing it for like a year because it was the only job I could get. And that really showed me for the first time that I'm going to have to work because by that point of my life, I hadn't really had to do anything because I'd gone mm. to university and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, okay, I could do this, but I'm not doing this part. I want to do that part. Yeah. And I really started to see how it all worked. It was the best university for acting, being on a set, doing background, because you got to see actors doing what they do, but also what the director did, what the producers mm. do. You got to understand what the grips did, where the marks were, where to stand, about lighting, about the rehearsals, about every little piece of the puzzle. And then once I decided, okay, I want to do this, I then did so many student films and so many like short, unpaid, non-union films, which were awful. <laughs> I hope none of them ever... I ever, was going to say, if ever, anyone finds them... <laughs> Let Please me <laughs> burn them. But I am so grateful for them because it made me not only understand where I needed to improve or what I didn't understand yet, but also the confidence of believing in my choices as an actor. Because I look back and I did this really low budget non-union film. And I remember the director, she'd be telling me, no, you need to say it like this. You need to move like this. And I look back and it was the most awful thing I've ever seen in my life. But I should have said, no, I'm the actor. I'll take your direction, but interpret it in my own way, because you still have to stand by your own body of work. Yeah. Right. So there were so many different parts of that that 
made me become a better actor. And then I took classes, of course. And classes are give and take, I think, personally in acting, because it's kind of a subjective industry where it's down to you and how you interpret it. Mm. So I used to go to different classes and cherry pick bits of information of how to use it as an actor. And I think it's one of those professions where you've either got it or you don't, and then you sort of perfect it. And then it just teamed with the opportunity. And then luckily, someone like my accent, that's literally <laughs> why I got an agent. And then I just started going to union auditions. And it took a good two years, which to a lot of people maybe isn't a lot. Mm. That's a good old apprenticeship, really. That's, you know, probably how long people go to acting school for. So I think there is definitely a hierarchy with actors, because when I say I've not been to a professional acting school there's like a lot of snobbery or maybe I started later so I don't deserve to be where I am but I talk it down but I worked bloody hard you yeah. know I was going out at five o'clock in the morning for no pay doing student films with people that were learning themselves so I was there for hours acting in nonsense like yeah and it's like you get hired for the reason the people who hire you right you know, like it's how they see it yeah they see like okay that's the, that's the person for the role like nothing else should matter i found a that. lot of um i when i started going to the classes especially here in toronto i tried to make more friends because i thought i'm going to need people within this industry to understand it and to lean on and support and vice versa But I quickly figured out, I don't know if it was my age, but everyone that was your friend was actually just wanting you for either information, comparison, mm. or direct competition. So if you were friends with a guy the same age and you got excited about an audition, they'd be like, oh, that's great. And then they'd be on the phone to their agent going, why haven't I got this audition? And then yeah. you'd see the casting room and you'd be like, how did you get here? You're like, you son of a... <laughs> Or congratulations, where did you get that audition? Yeah. And it's like, you know, just, I get it. Mm. There's a lot of rejection in the industry, but I think from the way I grew up and the way that my life was going, I'd had so much rejection already that I built a thicker skin. So every no, yes, at first it hurt a little, but I sort of just dealt with it so well and was like, well, that's their loss or I wasn't right for that. Mm. That wasn't meant to be. And some actors just don't grasp that sometimes a no is just nothing personal. Yeah. It's just someone else fits better. You need a tough skin, but you also need to do the work. And I've just learned to sort of be a lone soldier and find your sort of people on a set. They're with you as a team. They're your peers, yeah. you know, and it's a shame to say that, but that's what I've learned from the industry because it's not a very transparent industry. So it sort of breeds that mentality mm. of everyone against each other. So it's not the individual's fault. It's just the industry that it is. Yeah. And it sort of chews you up and spits you out if you don't understand it. And I understood it quite quickly. Well, that's good because, you know, obviously <laughs> you're on Heartland now, so we get to enjoy your <laughs> performances but do you remember your like first audition that led to somewhere and like did you feel that okay maybe I might book this role like I think I did good I started auditioning for professional production union production sooner than I should have in my opinion looking mm. back 
with hindsight. Of course, I wouldn't change it now because it taught me things. But my first audition that didn't lead to anything, but I remember it mm. vividly, was for a professional casting director. And it was for, it was something with Jason Momoa in it. But it was to play a Cockney guy, if anyone doesn't know what that, in East London accent, working class. And um, in, I think it was a prison or maybe like a, a pub, whatever. And I went in and I think I'm amazing at doing Cockney accents, like mm -hmm. amazing. So I went in and was like, whoa, are you all right? And so I did this Cockney accent and thought I was amazing. And then the casting director turned around and went, nice try, but I don't think you can do a British accent. <laughs> because again, here, people assume that you're not British, yeah. you know, and... And so I was like, well, what do you mean? And this is me being me at that point, thinking I knew everything and that you could have a dialogue with some casting. And so I was like, well, what do you mean? And she was like, well, I don't think you can pull that accent off. And I was like, I can definitely pull that accent <laughs> off. She was like, no, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. And that was it. And, she, and then I was like ushered out of the room and I was mortified. And I've never seen that casting director again because she must have learned after that I was English. Did you have like an identity crisis or something? Yeah, I was like, like how dare like, <laughs> like, you don't know what I'm... I told that story for about a year after I couldn't get over it. I was like, how dare she say I can't do a Cockney accent. But also like British accent is kind of like broad. Um, yeah, there's so many different yeah. ones. It's not just so the BBC. That made me learn accent. very quickly, though, that sometimes the person on the other side of the desk, of course, in their own right, know what they're doing. But sometimes it is an opinion and not to take it to heart. Mm. So that was my first big, like, wait a minute. Like, I thought that was good. She didn't. We're never going to agree, but don't let that get you down. So that was my first ever professional audition. Yeah. And then the first one where I thought I would ever get it was for and I didn't was <laughs> I was flown out to Vancouver so that was a big deal for me mm. I hadn't done anything at that point apart from student films and stuff and it was for Jennifer Connolly and it was it's that show where it's on a train ah I don't know what it's called is it Snowpiercer no yes yeah Snowpiercer yeah so but the tv show and I auditioned for this guy on the train and I think it was an Irish accent. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. But it was the first time ever I thought, oh my God, you were really good. Like, mm. I genuinely walked out and thought, oh my God, yes. And I sounded butch and I, it was like believable. Mm. Then I had the phone call two days later. And when an agent calls, that's always a good sign. When they email, it's always like, you've not got it. Mm. I got the phone call and it was with my, the branch of the Vancouver office. And they were like, how old are you in real time? And I was like, well, why does that matter? As long as you're over 18, they legally aren't allowed to know your age because it doesn't matter because yeah. it's about what you play on screen, yeah. you know? But the agent was like, yeah, but they're asking. So you're going to look like a bit of a, if you don't tell them how old you are. So however old I was at that point, probably 28. I don't know how old I was. But they told us and the person was to play a 40 year old. And so I didn't get it. But before they knew how old I was, they were considering it. Yeah, it's so kind of. I was like, why do you want to know? Because if you're buying that I can be 40, exactly. then just leave it there. I mean, look at Grandpa Jack. He's 125, yeah. <laughs> isn't he? 
Yeah. So that was, um, again, another learning curve of like, there are so many different pieces of the puzzle that can make you not get a role that are out of your control. But no, there was never one where I thought I've got this. Never. Mm. Not even Heartland. I never thought I had it. So even it's... when I had the callback, I was just like, mm, nah. <laughs> you're like, I'll, I'll believe it when I'm on set. When they said, when you get the contract that you're like, someone's made a boo-boo here. <laughs> like, yeah. But yeah, no, there's never been like a big moment where I've been like, yeah, I've got this. And I fully admit I'm still blagging my way through this. Mm. But openly saying that because I want to learn. I want to yeah. get better. And I think maybe that's why I am where I am because people see that in me, that I'm willing to learn, that I've got my eyes open, that I, I'm not full of myself and I'm willing to make mistakes to learn from them. Um, so yeah. Funnily enough, the next question I had in mind was relating to your accents and stuff like that. What special skills are in your acting resume so is it cockney accent irish accent let me pull up one because i know you've done uh writing lessons in case you know you they randomly to... not put them on though yeah but you're like prepared you can be like i am so prepared yeah. like it's actually becoming annoying now because I'm like, there was a moment where I was like, I don't need to do this much. I don't need to be this good. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to just, you know, ask them to send a horse to pick you up to work because you're Might, like, just so I can use yeah. my skills. <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> On my day off, the wrangler. Just yeah. like, standing up. Right, here we go. Port portfolio. Because this is always interesting to me because I right, know people, skills. people lie about it's, this stuff. <laughs> I have no special skill <laughs> apart from accents and dialects. I have RP, so received pronunciation, which is to anyone posh British, mm. um, which to be honest, maybe I could, I don't know. Um, Irish, I swear I'm amazing at it. My Irish grandmother <laughs> says I'm terrible at it. Once Michelle Morgan had an uh, audition maybe two years ago for something Irish, she swears like, to God, I lost I her this. that role because I coached her on that. <laughs> but you're still friends, right? <laughs> and then I've got German on here. <laughs> Don't. I was going to ask, like, let's hear it. Now, Russian, which again, I think that is a bit of a push. And then General American. Now, I did used to have Scottish on here, but I asked them to take it off because maybe two years while I was doing Heartland, I did a show which is about plane crashes. I don't know what it's called. Mm. I think it's called Different Things in Different Countries. But I was like the traffic controller yeah. in Scotland. And I had to say like, oh, so obviously if you're doing an accent in just a normal dramatic scene, you could maybe get away with doing it sort of okay mm. but when you're having to do a clear voice into a microphone pretend to be an air traffic controller every syllable is being heard so i was like eight three eighty like all the way i sound it was the most offensive accent i've ever heard when i watched it back so please nobody look at what show that is or ever try and find it because I watched it once and was mortified. 
Well, the last time you were on the podcast, I taught you a couple of sentences in Finnish. Hey, hey. So yeah, so you can add those in, and if you ever need like a coach, I, you know, I'm your girl. I think I think I would definitely need one because I'm <laughs> one of those people that thinks I can do them until I'm there, and then I'm like, um, what is speaking? I don't know. But yeah, I've got no other random special skills because honestly, I don't have any. Well, have you considered like doing like archery or sword fighting or whatever? I'm one of those people. Like at school, I was lucky to be someone who had to put a minimal effort and passed with quite high marks.、Mm. So I've generally been one of those people. Like with the acting journey, as much as yes, I've had to put a bit of work in. I think that's why people get annoyed with me because I've still I've got a higher return as opposed to my investment. I think I put in a lot for me,、mm. but to others probably who've been doing it for like fifteen years and still doing a student film, I'm probably really annoying. <laughs> You're like the Mickey Mouse because、uh, yeah. you know everything is just effortless. Yeah, like arch archery and stuff. I feel like I would never get a role like that anyway. Mm. That's how my mind works.、Why、But you、bother? never know. Like it's not in there. And、so. I feel like maybe then they pay me to do it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I just don't know what special skills I have apart from talking, <laughs> and I can run and I can go on a bike. That's it, and that's not really special, is it?、Mm. Well, you have riding now, but I don't know. Like, what what type of stuff people usually have in people there? People put like gymnastics.、Oh, and, yeah. Ballet、um, or combat fighting. You can do like a combat fighting course,、mm. but again, I just don't think anyone would buy that. And the only time I've ever had to do any sort of combative work was on Supernatural. I had a stunt double, but the thing that I had to do it was sort of like you got paid to go in the day before and do like it was almost like a dance routine、mm. where like you learnt the steps. Yeah, you get what I mean. So you weren't actually fighting; it was more like dancing. Yeah. And so that was all pretty. It's pretty straightforward because they don't let you do the more intensive stuff anyway. Like even with riding on Heartland, even if you are the most competent rider, they're still not going to let you gallop across the field. Yeah, you get what I mean. Yeah. As soon as you go into canter, they'd be like, "Stop right there, young man! You're not insured for that." <laughs> You're like, so, "I was just getting started. What the hell?" Right. So it's. I mean, maybe I should add it on there. I'd just be concerned if I put like Western or English riding, then the next minute it'd be like Yellowstone. I've got this role. You say nothing, but you do this intensive like. Well, would you say no? I feel like I would because on a huge production, they would be more. I would waste so much money, and they probably sue me. So I, <laughs> I'm. I would saying... probably say no. Put them in there and see what happens, because you know you never know. Well, we've talked about your songwriting and you know acting, but how do you express yourself creatively in other ways? Like, is that the main thing you do when you feel like you know putting something out there? Yeah, I'm sort of ADHD with things. I'm very intensive on. One thing at a time. I'm very bad at delegating, so I can't have loads of things on the go. That's why with the second album, that's why I put it out when I wasn't finished with it because I set a certain amount of time for it and、yeah. didn't want to do it once I'd started filming. So that was that sort of mentality of why.、Um, but creatively, I mean, just things like during the lockdown, I like 
even though this is a rental, like I completely like hope the landlord's not watching like Renault this. <laughs> um, I, I have them on the line. <laughs> this is an intervention. But, you know, <laughs> I can go from one extreme to another. Like now I couldn't even bear picking up a paintbrush. But at that moment, it was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So I'm always trying to create something, but I wouldn't say anything specifically. No, I'm just, no, just music and acting, I think. Well, how does the, like, did you write when you were younger or did the writing of songs just sort of happen suddenly? And you were like, wait a minute i'm, I'm kind of good in my bedroom i did used to you know like when you used to get the cds and yeah. maybe sometimes on the third track they'd have like the instrumental yeah i do it remember vividly like sitting there writing a new version of a song and maybe two or three times bless my mother asking to perform it and that was when I was very young. And then my brother maybe saw me do it the third time and I was mortified and never did it again. But I did used to have like a little songwriting book. Oh my God, I did. Sorry, now I vividly remember. <laughs> because I had a keyboard and it used to have like pre-programmed things and I had a whole catalogue of, oh my God. Yes, I did. Thank you for making me remember. It's coming back. Yeah, so I had a little book with songs in it. Oh my God, it was so embarrassing. This year on Heartland, Katie had kind of a journey like that. So right. I'm just like curious if that's kind and of I did what used you... To write, I used to love writing short stories when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I was a big English nerd. I used to find myself in my room reading books a lot. That was my childhood. Books and television and Spice Girls. That's all I did. That Literally same right <laughs> like I wouldn't go that's why I gained a lot of weight in my teenage years as well because all I did I just didn't want to go out I, mm -hmm. I felt safe at home in my bedroom reading books and I used to have the old VHS and every time the Spice Girls were on television I'd be recording it watching it back aimlessly my poor mother well at but least yeah. you were you know staying out of trouble and all that so yeah well I mean <laughs> as I got older things change but um you you kind of you know i definitely uh, made up for it as yeah, i got older but no i used to love creative writing um and anything like that i was more of the literature side as opposed to at school like maths and science i wasn't that sort of guy even though i passed all those subjects i loved english because i felt like you could justify anything as long as you made enough points about it that's what I loved about English. Like you could just write and write and write and write and write, you know? Mm. So I suppose I've always been creative in that way. And then I took a big gap after university because I was sort of sick of it. Yeah. I was so tired because I had to read. And I sort of, you know, I was like a spoiled brat. I was like, well, I don't want to do this anymore. And I don't want to do that. So for years, I didn't read. And I still, to this day, I'm ashamed to say, find it very difficult to read a full book, which is so bizarre, considering I look at how much I love reading. Yeah. I still, I buy books. They look pretty. Me too. <laughs> and it's like, I've, I've been trying to do audio books sometimes, but then sometimes I'm like, oh. You know, because I get so caught up on some sentences, I'm like, well, that's an interesting way to put it. And then I'm like, what's happened right. in the li last five minutes? Because I zone out. You've got too many things going yeah. on. I think life happens. Yeah. That's my excuse. The older I've got, the more I've got going on. Yeah. So 
as much as we both probably need the time to sit down and read a book because mm. then you're sort of out of this world and yep. you're just immersed in words and imagination but we've got so much on the go that mm. it feels kind of selfish even though I know it's not that's what it feels like to me to sit down and take that time but on the flip side I'll sit there and watch 10 hours of something on Netflix yeah because I'm like reading a book for three hours you know sounds like a long time I could be doing something else but then it's like you're not doing anything yeah maybe that should be our little pact we should make a pact together we need to read at least a book before the start of summer I have one book that I started yeah right yeah, because I, I even bought one in English just so I can right. you know, always learn. But it has right. like strange accent, some kind of southern. Oh, so they've one. written it. Yeah, so it takes time. I'm like, right. what are they saying? So, but I'm trying, you know, I'm, I'm trying Good to, you know. Yeah, because I suppose that would be because then you've sort of got to stop in that person's voice yeah. and be like, and then if it's not your first language then be like what are they actually saying yeah so it's a slow process but uh, you know it's also a challenge in a way to kind of right understand something that i've never had to understand before so right so earlier we talked about you know getting to our age and kind of learning things along the way but um what life lesson took you a long time to learn that you've now kind of been like oh like i wish you know i would have understood something earlier or just kind of like i'm still trying to figure it out like i'm not even going to pretend i mean you've probably gathered by this interview so far i am so full of the gift of the gab but i'm you can still tell i'm still making it up as i go along i'm Mm. still trying to figure life out I suppose the biggest lesson that I've learned so far is that you're always going to be too much for some people or not enough. So it's less about not caring, but putting so much emphasis on what others think, but being true to me, living in the moment, being authentic in my own body and my own feelings. And then the people that get you will get you. Yeah, you'll attract them in a way because you're being yourself. But not putting so much on how other people respond to you or what you think they want you to be, because that has literally been my entire life, Mm. trying to fit into this model of what I should have been. And the more I'm learning and understanding this world that we're living in it's those molds that are set by society are formed on a lot of bs from centuries yeah great white male trying to control everyone around him and it's a very harsh reality to understand all that but it's made me come to terms with things like my irish grandmother who god bless her she still doesn't know that i'm gay Mm. which is obviously very bizarre but i could i i put it up slightly when i see it but um, but you know to this i've always wrestled with that she doesn't know and does she need to know and then you go down that rabbit den of like well does she need to know does it affect and it's just like but why yeah. why can't i just say it why is it such a thing but then i understand how she grew up what she thinks and what she believes And then at first I used to get mad. Why does she think like that? How stupid of her to think Mm -hmm. like that. Use critical thinking. Think beyond that. It's a book. Like I could 
in Enid Blyton. Like, I'm not going to set my life to it, like all of this stuff. But then it's understanding where other people come from, why they see through a certain lens. Mm. I've sort of, I don't know where I was going with that, but I'm trying to say that you can't always get mad at people because they don't see the same thing that you see. I know that she would, I just know that she wouldn't understand it. Yeah, so it's like, do I even bother, you know? Yeah, it's like a hard thing to sit with me because I feel like I have always hidden who I am, Mm. always. And it's made me disconnect from my family for years. It's made me disconnect from almost every relationship I've ever had because we've got this thing inside us that we're told a part of us is not accepted. And even, I suppose, deep down, I've wrestled with even me thinking that. Well, it's internalized, you know, stuff because it's everywhere. Right. Yeah, it's tough. But I'm, as I say, I need to be more authentic with me of who I am and realizing as i say i'm too much or not enough so just be me yeah and if people don't like it (laughs) (laughs) exactly okay so that was the first part of the aiden moreno returning to heart to heartland podcast next week we're gonna get more into heartland and we're gonna talk more about rick as a character in aiden's perception of the character and all that good stuff so i hope you tune in next week as well and till next time keep your noses clean and your battle dry as they say bye